Tim, Nick, thank you so much for jumping on the Funny Business Podcast. For those listening at home, tell us who are you, what do you do? And I know we just talked about this off air, so feel free. I don't know who wants to go first, but uh, maybe, Tim, you can kick us off. You're up the top. Uh, thanks, guys. Stoked to be here. Um, yeah, Tim Silverwood, one of the co-founders of Ocean Impact Organization, and Nick Shirley's on the line as well. Yeah, look, we are Australia's startup accelerator and innovation ecosystem for businesses that are working to improve ocean health. So at the core of our purpose is this sort of realisation that the ocean's health is essential for a sustainable future on this beautiful blue marble that we call home. And we reckon there is just heaps and heaps of awesome innovations and new technologies out there that can scale to really transform the way we treat the ocean. So it's pretty exciting place to be uh, playing in. And uh, we've been doing it for about three years now. Over to you, Nick. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Great to be here today. So I'm the other half of uh, the OIO founder team, Nick Shirelli. Um, yeah, we've been going at this for around three years and three or four years, I think now, really, um, when you look at it in total. And it all really started um, with this. I left a corporate uh, role that I'd been at for a while, and I'd been I'd been wrestling throughout my entire career as an accountant or as a reluctant accountant, like where I was going with my career and what was the media sort of impact area I could sink my teeth into. Um, you know, probably for 15 years, I thought that you could either make money and be mentally stimulated or you could have purpose and impact and be broke. And it probably just lined up that around the time that I left that corporate role, the world in my eyes had changed and it, it probably, it had been changing, but I think I was probably just getting a little bit more experienced and older and wiser and a bit more connected and I could sort of see um, it changing when before I, I, I didn't realise it was there. So I... I was about to have my first kid and thought to myself, right, you know, now's the time. It's not like when I grow up, I want to be. It's like I'm grown up and I need to pull my finger out and what's that opportunity? So I left a corporate role, um, which was, you know, a fantastic opportunity in a startup that we ended up listing, got heaps of great experience and built up a really good network um, in sort of mainstream finance and business. But went out and approached things like a job looking for the next opportunity. And, you know, very quickly I started to see this idea of purpose business uh, and impact businesses and started having conversations with, with founders in that space that were telling me that they didn't trust your typical sources of, of capital and your typical sources of support. And on the other side of the coin, which I didn't realise was the same coin until later on, but investors or mainstream investors were telling me that they liked the idea of in investing into impact businesses, early stage impact businesses. But, you know, Nick, where do I go for these things? Where do I get deal flow? Like, you know, where are they? And so when I did realise that they were, that was two sides of the same coin, I thought to myself, okay, well, where, how can we sort of, how can I, be something in the middle that puts these two parties in touch with, with each other. How can I be an authentic intermediary, if you like? Um, so I sort of set up myself as a sort of outsourced CFO and, and finance um, consultant, I suppose, and started doing a little bit of consulting there. But at the same time, I was looking at the startup landscape quite intensely and um, in Australia and globally and realised that over the last five to 10 years, the startup 
landscape had changed so that just about every industry and sector has its own startup landscape or ecosystem. So you think about all the all the techs that we hear about now. Every industry has its own tech. You got prop tech, agri tech, every kind of tech, medical tech. And then it dawned on me one day, well, why isn't there anything for the ocean? And I started asking a few questions uh, of people, went to some other accelerators um, and asked them, said, why doesn't this exist? No one could give me a good answer why. So I took that as a, hey, go and do it <laughs> type thing. Um, and met Tim. That was really almost an accident, really, um, but one of the, the greatest accidents that could have possibly happened. I, I think, Tim, I was coming to see you for a, to try and put my hand up for a board seat at Take Three for the Sea and really to boost my profile in the area um, as a way to build this. And when I got out there, what I didn't know was that the person that had connected Tim and I had been hearing Tim in his ear say that, you know, he wanted to see if there was something a bit meatier where uh, he could go down this sort of purpose business road. He'd, he'd done all that he could with uh, and a great job in philanthropy and um the not-for-profit sector over the last 10 years. And so when we met, I thought it was very strange. I went home and I, my wife said, how'd it go? And I said, it's a bit weird, actually. This guy was just asking me about what what I was doing. Didn't really talk much about the board position with Take Three. And anyway, at the time, I thought I'd been, I was looking for a co-founder that was had an innovation or an investment background. And it sort of dawned on me that I went and met, when I met Tim, that no, what I was really looking for was someone that was going to help me build an ecosystem because this ecosystem didn't exist. There wasn't um, a slice of a market or a sector for us to go out and get, particularly in Australia. We needed to build awareness. We needed to we needed to come in and build a lot of partnerships and awareness and light up mainstream investor eyes that, hey, you know what? Investing in ocean health is a thing. And that's taken us, you know, the bulk of our effort and time over the last two or three years. So it was like a blind date. You know, <laughs> the, the first week was like a blind date. Is that how it was for you, Tim? <laughs> yeah, I think um, it just sort of came at a time when, as Nick said, I'd, I'd really sort of reached a bit of the limit of what I thought I could really, the biggest impact I could wield with the traditional grassroots charitable side of conservation. Um it was very important to me that Take 3 continued. That was absolutely a, a fundamental baseline that I, I needed to make sure it was going to live on beyond my departure because, as everyone knows, listening in, when you're so integral as part of a startup or a charitable project, the greatest risk is that it dies once once you step away. So was once I felt confident... Was it, was it like a sad thing? Like uh, you've invested a lot of time and energy of your, and your life into what they're doing. Was that a hard decision to step away? I think the thing it was is it was a long decision, so I had plenty of time to go through all those emotional um, transects. So by the time I'd sort of made those verbal communications to people in my network that I was kind of keen to explore my next step, you know, I'd already made that decision in my heart and my head quite some time back. But, yeah, it's definitely tough, and I really did, you know, that everyone loves this idea of, you know, oh, it's okay to fail and pick yourself up and move on again, but... After 10 years of investing in building Take 3 for the Sea and not really getting much financial reward from it, you know, it's a, it's a very selfless pursuit building a traditional grassroots charity. You don't get any equity in it. You don't really get anything. Once you shake hands with the team and walk out the door, that's the end of the story. You know, you might have a, 
a bit of Google searching showing that you've got a legacy in, in building the thing, but that's about all that you really, really get. So it was um it was a big one, but it was just time and it was time and I'd just been so exposed to all the changing nature of corporate Australia and the the global push towards um as Nick was saying, purpose built, benefit corporations, all this great stuff around you know, you can actually make money and make an impact. So I knew that that was the arena I was going to be stepping into, but I had no idea it was going to be quite a role like this where we're essentially, as Nick said, building and and stimulating this this broad global ecosystem of incredible potential. So, yeah, it was a wild ride. Nick, you mentioned before that, like, getting investors to understand or backing, like, impact-led businesses or understanding maybe how they get a return or what's involved in that? What were some of the misconceptions that you've noticed or maybe even some of the changes now in perception of this space? Well, I think impact investing was is, is one thing, and that's, that's, you know, relatively well understood. Um, in the ocean space, uh, to be specific for us, the, the real challenge is that you know, when you mention, oh, we're working for Ocean Health, people think that that's about, you know, running a beach cleanup or, you know, we're, we're, we're regenerating a patch of coral reef somewhere or something very specific that is more like a, you know, a grassroots type community project. Um, there was an article that came out about three years ago that basically framed up and, and the crux of the article was that the ocean has typically suffered from people thinking that it's a victim of climate change and and a host of other environmental um, issues that put pressure on its health. The article was challenging people to flip that thinking and start to think of the ocean as, you know, yes, that's correct, but it's a fantastic source of opportunity and solutions. So now... Now there's a bunch of people uh, whose eyes are lit up to the ocean as a potential source of um, increasingly providing uh, protein for a, 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 a climate-intensifying world, um, a source of climate uh, solutions, carbon sequestration and so forth, uh, new industries around sea, seaweed and so forth. So, so yes, the, the ocean is in, is in uh, you know, it's not in the best shape we need to look after it. But if we do look after it, then the next step is that it's actually a key source of potential to help us through some, you know, some tough times with, you know, climate, uh, climate, um, the consequences of uh, increasing temperatures coming our way. So that's been a real boon um, for us. I think, you know, our job as Ocean Impact Organisation, we, we don't, do a single thing that someone was already doing. So when we came into this space, you know, there's Australia's got one of the best marine uh, infrastructures in the world from a science and research point of view. We've got, um, a, you know, some fantastic not-for-profits and community groups doing their thing. We've got pockets of investors and startups doing their thing. We just said we need to come in and actually let everyone know that there's a, a lighthouse organisation here that's pulling everyone together. And by doing that, we can, you know, greatly magnify and increase the speed that which that ecosystem grows. Oh, I love that sort of stuff. What type of people are you seeing move into your space now like from what other industries and and stuff like that is it people in the ag tech space people in climate tech all that different stuff 
Yeah, well, it's funny, right? So um, there's, you know, we have climate solutions, right? So we had a we had a, a, a climate solution in our accelerator last year, Skyology. Um, Skyology have built a prototype to take mining waste and draw it down into the water column, and it increases the alkalinity in the water column. It can um, repair reefs local to that area and, and draw down carbon. Now, they might think of themselves as a climate solution, so there'd be accelerators out there that are working specifically around climate tech. They'd be, you know, available to go and participate in that solution, uh, in that program. Where they're attracted to our program is, and where a lot of people uh, we like to think are attracted to what we're doing, is that ocean health is at the very top of their personal mandate. So that's their why, right? So we we say that the glue that sticks our ecosystem together is it's not about industry, it's not about technology. We're industry and technology agnostic. The glue that brings everyone together is a real burning fire. It's that passion at the personal level. What is it for both of you that makes you both so passionate about the ocean in the first place? Like maybe Tim kick us off, like you mentioned before, putting a big body of time into that charitable endeavor. But if we go back even more, like why are you both, how did you both end up in this space and why oceans? Yeah. Like um, growing up on the East coast of Australia, um, just a, an emotional and physical and spiritual connection to the ocean. Um, I'm, I'm a surfer and, I've just always spent a huge chunk of my time around salt water. So it was pretty natural then, but I also had a very strong sort of philosophical passion for conservation that was just instilled from me through my family upbringings and the, you know, the little sub communities that I interacted with growing up. So I was destined for a sort of career in conservation um, in either which way. And then it just really came to me uh, traveling around the world in my 20s, surfing and, and backpacking and just seeing, I suppose, the the worst of the ways that humanity was treating waterways and treating coastlines and the ocean. And the big wake-up call for me was just that obvious plastic that was choking rivers and shorelines and surfing in it in places like Indonesia. So that's why after you know, all my academic studies and probably high aspirations of all sorts of conservation roles. It was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get people picking up plastic, you know? So I got together with the ladies, um, Roberta and Mandy, and we we had a great time with Take Three for the Sea. And the thing I loved about that, I suppose, is that you could actually open up a whole big world of the other ocean challenges just through that simplicity of doing something small. It was like it's sort of just that, you know, that Trojan horse effect, if you like. So, yeah, absolutely love it now. And um, I've really, really enjoyed, as Nick was saying, you know, we're, we're really looking at challenge agnostic solutions here. As long as you're ultimately going to be benefiting ocean health through the scaling of your solution, then it can be so diverse. And so I'm learning and learning every single day, like as Nick said with Skyology, I really didn't know that these kind of solutions were even out there, but we get exposure to them. I think we've had over 650 startups now apply to our programs and each of them is tackling a challenge with a certain specific solution. It's just remarkable. What goes into building an ecosystem? You know, like oh I gosh. know it's a, it's a complex beast, but like especially in this startup world, there's so much to it. And I, I know like say take three for the take three, for example, I feel like it had an amazing brand rep from a point of people who weren't in very like if they weren't super passionate about conservation, they still had awareness of like you did such a good job of getting that out there. Like 
this stuff here you're building now, like what what goes into building a, a thriving ecosystem of what you guys are doing? Like fire and chicken, that's crazy. The amount of applicants you got going on, like can't be easy. Yeah, I mean, Nick can yeah. speak, I mean, maybe to a bit of the sort of the background theory around what we sort of recognise that we needed to do. But for me, and this is where we had a, a really interesting sort of exchanges as we were dating and figuring out our respective roles in, in OIO, it was the brand building for me. You know, take three, like you said, it, it became a brand and that was the sort of the, the lighthouse that everyone, you know, strove towards. So we kind of had to build this, really strong brand and all this messaging around what ocean health innovation, what ocean impact innovation actually meant. And so things like running our own podcast and getting really clear on social media and our communications and just really just hammering home that consistency, making it visually compelling, appealing to the diverse stakeholders, but also appealing to the crowd. Like it's just been a big exercise in in building a brand. Yeah, and the pro probably the other side of that is the way that we went about um, internally building the organisation and, and approaching virtually everything we do is that, you know, Tim and I looked at each other very early on and said, hey, you know, for what we know, there's probably about 20, 20 times more that we don't know. And so the very first thing we did actually, before we sort of said, yeah, this is a concept that can roll, we ran a lunch. Um, someone introduced me to this concept of a Jeffersonian lunch and so Thomas Jefferson used to get together uh, people at his house. He used to make sure that he had a representative from all the sort of different walks of life uh, when he had a, a big chunky problem to mull over. And he'd invite them over and he'd run a facilitated conversation with these people and get the you know different perspectives from people in the room. So we did exactly that. We ran one of these lunches um, and we had about 10 or 12 people from... Um, all walks of life. We had, you know, we had the um, director of documentaries from the ABC there. We had the head of uh, marketing for Deloitte Consulting there, uh, the head of Sydney Institute of Marine Science from an ocean science perspective. We had startup founders there. I think we had Pete Zaglinski. I think you guys have had him on before from Steven as a startup founder. Yeah. He was there. He's a <laughs> tripper. He's one of a kind. He's a good man. <laughs> yeah. He's been getting a few waves in lately up here. I don't know if he's leaving too many for everyone else, um, but but we yeah we had a, we had a bunch of people in the room and we said hey you know what we've got this idea we've got this sort of um, thing that we'd like to roll. Firstly, we'd like to know if you think there's any reason why we shouldn't proceed, and you know let's have some conversation around it and and see what you think. And essentially, that that lunch went really well, and six of those. 10 or 12 people we invited became our advisors uh, advisory group they immediately said yeah let's let's do it and at that point we knew we had something and so those six people all came from different walks of life so and that's sort of how we built the organization that's how we've approached partnerships and collaborations where we said you know we've been lucky because when like i said we're not building anything that already exists and when, whenever we establish a partnership with someone, they have been really genuinely two-sided partnerships where there's win-win on, on either side. So we've been able to build up a bunch of these key partnerships really quickly on the basis that we're bringing something new along. We're non-competitive. We can help you. You can help us. And together, we can actually help ocean health um, by, by working together. And, and, and we just take that into every day, everything that we do. What what about the ocean for you then, Nick? I know we um we had Tim's answer before, but you had a background in uh, medicinal honey, bit of honey business there. But um, can you explain? Yeah, how did you get into the ocean and the transition from honey? 
Well, I mean, the, the ocean was, you know, I'm like Tim, I've always grown up, uh, I grew, grew up on the coast, I've always been in the water, surfed and dived and, and whatnot. And, um, but, you know, I didn't know that there was a calling there. I think, you know, to go back to what I said earlier, I was sort of hamstrung, I suppose, by this view that you could either be, you know, make money or have impact. Um, and it wasn't until, in fact, I became an accountant and I, didn't really want to be an accountant. So as soon as I got qualified, I quit and I moved to Cairns to become a dive instructor. And um, I got up there and I was by myself. I was 21. I was like going off and doing my dive master course every day for, you know, a month or whatever it was. And I'd come home and I didn't know anyone at that point. I was watching the Blue Planet on my on this absolute hunk of a laptop with a, a DVD back in the day and just nerding out on this stuff and, diving it and then watching it and really immersing myself. And there was one particular day where um, we had a dive and this feeling of elation after the dive immediately turned to despair when someone started talking about the rapid decline of the area that we'd just seen. So here I was like in one moment, I'd thought it was the greatest thing I'd just about ever seen. And then immediately it occurred to me that my unborn children probably wouldn't be able to see this. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks in the guts. And like, yeah, elation just went to despair immediately. And I think that sort of, you know, burned something in me that at that point I, you know, wanted to do something. One of the best experiences in my life, I reckon, was was diving the scuba dive in the Great Barrier Reef. I couldn't get the snorkel on first. I had it in wrong. So <laughs> the first half of the day was shocking for me. But after that, I was like, this is like the greatest thing ever. I, like, I, It's like a whole other world under, underneath the, uh, the the water. It's good, isn't it? It's like the little mermaid, mate. I felt like the little mermaid. But like, <laughs> it, is, it does leave a lasting impression, though. And like, uh, that, we had a bit of education around that as well. It's like, far out, like. It's crazy what it what it was like all them years ago as well, and what the damage that we've done. And do, do you think it's yeah. hard to find to get people to care that it like don't live near the ocean? You know, like we live down here in a coastal town, beautiful place in the world of, of Torquay, which obviously you feel it. It's part of the community spirit, like it is up there. Like the ocean's connected to what you do, you guys are doing. But a, a lot of the problems that are caused is it is it stuff that like floats down the streams from people that are outside of that don't that don't have experience with the sea and the ocean. Are they the people that you? going to try and get a, a part of this message or are you just trying to like is your core demo just finding more people who genuinely care and want to build build a new pathway or a career in this space yeah it's sort of funny you know we we have some strong mantras in our vision documents and all our uh, pitch decks and stuff you know we're ultimately the key solution here when we've really cracked the code it's that sustainability is profitability and that you know you're being sustainable without even knowing that you're being sustainable. So I don't often like to sort of point the finger at a certain demographic and blame them because it's it's all of us. You know, we really don't ask all the questions and make all the key decisions on everything we do and how everything we consume. We don't think of the ocean as the ultimate victim at the end of the day. So it could be the seafood intake. It could be the clothing that you wear. It could be the food that you're eating, the impacts of the farming. Like the ocean is downhill from everywhere and it is just suffering greatly from 8 billion people just not figuring out how to live sustainably on this humble blue planet that we call home. So, you know, we all obviously build a huge tribe of people that have that education and have that passion and they'll be our greatest advocates. 
But I think that you know where we're heading, and especially with digital communications, and you know, look at the amount of money that goes into the the documentaries about the ocean now, and they reach people that would otherwise never have had the chance to see and experience that. We're going to have you know VR into the future and all this kind of stuff. So I think we can build a lot more awareness in people and find that we get great advocates from the most unlikely of sources to to be our um, the people that can change the way we treat the ocean. Love that. Hey, let's get into your accelerator and I think pitch fest. Let's talk through a little bit. Can you explain what they, what they are and what's going on in your world? So we run a few programs. The first one that we got up was it's called the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest. And um, it's a funny story, actually. It's it's our most well-known program, high profile, number of views, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but it was simply a response to COVID uh, initially. It was an idea that we had uh so we were just about to open the doors or we just had opened the doors. Um, we'd gone through the fires here in Sydney back in 2019. That sort of hampered our ability to, to fundraise the, the initial um, funding that we needed to get the organisation rolling, but, you know, we, we, we rolled anyway. And then we we were just sort of getting up and designing what would have been a, a sort of typical at that time face-to-face accelerator program and COVID came along. And the benefit, I suppose, of Australia sort of getting it last, if you like, um, was that we saw what had happened in the rest of the world and uh, we didn't need to guess. We knew that it, it meant the doors were going to be shut on things and there was going to be lockdowns and running a face-to-face program was going to be really tough. So we said, well, what do we do? We need to we need to roll something out. How do we how do we spin something up that can create some awareness, can attract a hell of a lot of uh, attention to the cause, attract partners, attract startups, and and that was the idea behind Pitchfest, a one hundred percent virtual um, competition, really simple for people anywhere in the world to enter and pre-record a a pitch video that we could. Um, display over our social channels through our EDM and so forth and um, and really promote the, the the best of those startups but also promote the work of the sort of the players around the world that are doing the same sort of work that that we are so um that's run for three years now uh, we run it in the middle of the year to you know there's a six-week application window it kicks off in in August and, and we'll run it in August again um we have our accelerator program uh, in fact I should just mention it was fifty thousand dollar prize uh, for first in pitch fest last year bunch of other categories in there looking at specific ocean thematics where there's um, smaller cash prizes involved as well and support. Um, from a, a bunch of partner organisations, we had HP, uh, ANZ were our sponsor for Pitchfest last year. Um, the Accelerator Program—that's that's sort of where we always wanted to go, but it took a couple of years for us to get there. We ran it for the first time last year, and this is where we take um, up to ten startups and really put them through their paces through a six-month intensive program where. You know, we really take them from uh, from A through to B and, and hope that they can scale beyond that. So we raised just over a million dollars last year and provided uh, the bulk of that in the form of an investment check to six startups that came through the program. Uh, and that culminated in a, a live 
pitch day at our innovation event that was at the Maritime Museum in November last year. So we've just opened applications for the 2023 cohort of the Accelerator Program. Um, details are on, on the website. Uh, the application period has another five weeks left and that program will start in June. Um, similarly, raising an investment, uh, raising the investment at the moment as well to support those startups. Uh, each startup will receive a check of around $100,000 um, to go through the program. And, um, you know, there's some great stories from um, the startups last year. We had a couple of Australian companies, uh, UviPack, who are doing, um, they take organic food waste, mainly from the juicing industry and turn that into coffee cups and bowls to avoid the single-use plastic problem. Uh, Nouveau, who have um, come up with a, a bottle and a little, um, uh, what do you call it, Tim, a filter, a little pod is what I'm looking for that takes UV light and actually filters uh, dirty water. So if you think about that, um, in a lot of countries, even in the US, for instance, there's areas where you can't drink the water from the tap. Um, this is a simple shake of a bottle with a, uh, uh, with, a with a pod that can filter that water. So fantastic in um, solving some of the um, single-use plastic problems uh, from from bottles. Um, Skyology, we already mentioned. Mayani in the Philippines, there and uh, agri um, fisheries and food platform where they basically aggregate a product from small fishers and farmers and get it to market. So they cut out a lot of middlemen, um, which means greater margins to the small fishers and farmers uh, and a, a dramatic decrease in uh, in food spoiling, which means people need to catch less and grow less, um, which is fantastic for the environment. We had Sathi, who are an Indian company who make uh, women's sanitary products from banana tree waste. Um, so completely plastic-free packaging, plastic-free um, sanitary products. Um, also, you know, a social enterprise that uses, uh, you know, 90% impoverished women in their in their workforce. So really lifting up people in the areas um, uh, where, they, where they do their business. Um, who am I missing, Tim? Is that it? River Recycle. River Recycle, of course. So they operate throughout Asia and they have built a uh, a river waste recycling system that takes trash directly from rivers and, and can recycle um, that. And I think uh, by volume, they're just behind the ocean cleanup in terms of um, volume of, of plastic waste extracted from the environment. Must be pretty meaningful to be able to see this is like three, four years in now, yeah. like the impact that you guys are making from what you're building that the people are coming in and, and hundred grand checks to go and build these ideas out. And it's not, I can't imagine this is where you guys are stopping after three years. It's only going to build yeah. and build it. What, what are you most looking forward to in the next few years? What's on the roadmap? What are the things that you look at? Is there any certain parts or businesses to do with the ocean that you're really interested in? Is there a space that you got like a, uh, talent board on the side, you know, I'm waiting for a business that does this, you know, let's let's bring that in. It's just exciting. Every time we open applications to one of our programs, it's just a 
it lifts up the whole team and it lifts up all the advisors and the people that are involved in in the processes because you just get absolutely blown away by the talent out there and the novel solutions that have already got runs on the board and ready to make a big impact but you know we didn't start this thing just to to play around the edges like we we started this because we know that this is essential to balance out the way humans are, are living on, on planet ocean. So we will just keep accelerating ourselves at whatever the rate as fast as we can whilst being sustainable. And ultimately we should be, you know, guided and judged in the next few years or next five years by how much capital we've seen go across into this innovation ecosystem. And so, you know, we'll run more programs and we'll be raising more capital to see more startups scale and succeed. What does the what's the daily life look like for both of you guys? Like, I'm sure like there's lots of travel and stuff with what you do, and just seeing all different parts of the world and seeing what people are doing is. I'm tipping there's lots going on. Like, what does a normal day look like for you, Nick? Yeah, sort of no no typical day really. Um, we've got a 100% um, remote team, so we have um, we have someone in Perth, we've got someone in Sydney. Tim and I are in the Northern Rivers. Um, there's one or two roles that we'll bring on later in the year and they'll likely be in Sydney. So for Tim and I, we we do get back to Sydney uh, quite a bit uh, simply because that's where most of the uh, investor action is. That's where a lot of the events are. It's, you know, it's our, it's our biggest city. So there's probably, you know, once a month on average a, a trip to Sydney. Um but other than that, we can run the organisation completely virtually, which is great. And, um, you know, I feel personally, and I think Tim would probably feel the same, you know, really blessed to be in a situation where we could create something that we love doing that has impact and has enabled us to live somewhere that we absolutely love and we're sort of immersed in nature every day at home and, you know, at the beach and, you know, really just, puts a spring in your step to to get to work. I sort of don't really consider it work. There's times when it's pretty hectic, like right now where we're recruiting startups and we're, you know, raising investment and there's there's definitely peaks and troughs with our workload and right now is a, you know, pretty hectic period like I, like I mentioned. But, um, you know, I don't really think about it like a job. It's, um, you know, I don't, it's, a, it's a little bit more than that. So, um. You know, we try and balance the day out. We've got lots of tools that we use, um, you know, no different to other organisations that are working um, remotely now. We use a lot of project management software and video meetings and so forth. But, you know, we've got a great team, really. We've got a small team, but a really fantastic team of, of people that are that we've employed primarily on passion and uh, they bring a great skill set along, but it means that, you know, I know that they're waking up every day similar to Tim and I with a spring in their step for the purpose and the mission and what we're doing. And um, that makes, you know, motivating the team a really easy, a really easy job. But well, in fact, we don't have to do it. So a question we ask all our guests kick off with you, Tim, is like, what do you both do for your mental health? What do you do to, when you're looking to get some energy back in your life? Yeah, look, definitely going back to the ocean, the the source of it all, and and remind myself of of what it is that I'm trying to protect. Um, so whether that's snorkeling, surfing, scuba diving, just going for a swim on a hot day with with my wife and my dog, 
uh, just spending a lot of time around the coastline. Um, gardening, really into to growing my own food and getting more and more awareness around permaculture and now living up in the Northern Rivers and having a, a plot of land that I can actually invest my time in that kind of pays me back through the food and the the, the clean environment. So that's been really, really enjoyable. Um, yeah, it's, that's probably my main ones. What's I've been renovating a house, actually. I've been renovating, but I wouldn't say that's exactly relaxing. What's in the garden? <laughs> yeah, what are you planting? Some chilies, some hot peppers, some... Uh, yeah, all of that stuff. On? Yeah, it's all there at the moment. The tomatoes are going mental. We're just having so much, uh, so many tomatoes in our meals at the moment. The eggplants are uh, thriving at the moment. Plenty of zucchinis and pumpkins, all the herbs. I'm actually just looking out the garden here now. But Nick will tell you as well, though, living up in the northern rivers in summertime, geez, it grows fast up here. So you're constantly trying to keep the jungle at bay. Uh, it's pretty tough work. I'm a, I'm a part-time gardener, basically. Some days it feels like full-time. <laughs> But yeah, I, I um I'm similar to Tim. You know, we we I get in the water every day, um, uh, surf or swim or um, you know, just get into nature. But you know, it's a good question uh, around the sort of mental health piece. One of the things that I've bought in or back in this year, I don't know why I ever went away from it, but a really simple thing that I've done that has just had a profound impact on me over the last um, six to eight weeks is just not turning my phone off. So I put my phone on aeroplane mode before I go to bed. So it's there, need it as an alarm clock. I don't switch it off aeroplane mode and back on to receive calls or, or Wi-Fi signal or anything until I'm ready to sit down to work. And that has just, I would not have believed how much of an impact that could have had on me. It's been amazing. Oh, 100%. You would have been in bed getting them emails saying this is due tomorrow, this is what's happening today, and it just stresses you out, doesn't it? Like the first thing you wake up to is just like shit that you need to do. It's like, hang on, I need to have a coffee and just chill. Oh, exactly. And you just it's just let me reclaim the morning. So I'll get up and, you know, even before, if you leave your phone on, you might go to the gym or for a walk, but you're looking at your emails while you're on your walk. Why am I doing that? I can't do anything now about it. Enjoy your morning. Like win the morning for yourself, get to work, be the best version of yourself and get stuck in when you're there and you're ready to go. I reckon one thing, when I go for walks, I usually have the headphones in and that's my normal thing. But every now and then if I take it off and actually like like walks way slower and look at shit, you actually appreciate more. Like, I don't know, there's just so much you don't see, isn't there, when you actually slow down and like look at stuff and see what's actually going on. Like I'm just speaking purely for walks and just walking around the beach here, but like, I don't know. It's just crazy when you when you think like that, eh? When things like that happen, you know, and you just really slow down and see shit for what it is. Completely. If you've ever if you've ever planted a garden from scratch and you're out there sort of watering it and tending to it every day, if you put your phone away, like it seems like a pretty mundane thing to do, but you notice so much just with a hose in your hand, <laughs> just looking around. I like it. Hey, what about some brands, whether they're inside or outside your industry, that you both love or take inspiration from maybe tim kick us off yeah look um we had a conversation internally with the team last week about uh patagonia and yvonne chenard and that great book that he brought out let my people go surfing and just i guess there's so many brands out there that have really led that b corp movement the benefit corp said look we are still going to strive hard to to make money, to create fantastic dividends, but we will never, ever, ever put the 
the price of people and the planet and culture on the line for that. So there's a lot out there and there's more coming every single day. And we like to think that we instill so much of that, not just in our own organisation, but in all the businesses that we're attracting and supporting. Like that. What about you, Nick? Any other brands that you love? Yeah, so Patagonia are definitely up there as, you know, flying that purpose business um, flag. Um, there's a heap of other good operators. Tim mentioned the B Corp, Corp movement. I mean, essentially one way to think about us is that we're really accelerating purpose-based businesses that just happen to be improving ocean health as well. Um, you know, in fact, we, we another thing we did, we just bought in a policy this year where we, we shut down on it every second Friday. We sort of took inspiration from from Patagonia there as well. And so far, so good. There hasn't been any drop in productivity or output and people are, you know, the team's really loving that that idea. Um, so we've, we've drawn inspiration from Patagonia, not just for their purpose, but, you know, the way that they market, the way that they've built a community. Um, you know, we probably don't realise how much we've been influenced by them. People don't work Fridays, let's be honest. And if they do, they're not doing much, you know, and you're not getting anything back from anyone. They're not doing anything with any urgency and they don't want to do, if they do anything, they don't really want to do it after lunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. We, we, well, Tim was probably surfing every Friday, second Friday Arvo anyway. So I thought I might as well join him. Let's just shut the, let's shut down for the, for the day. <laughs> Didn't it uh, work out well last week with the <laughs> cyclone swell just starting to creep in as the as the RDO Friday was off? I surfed for seven hours. I was a pretty happy chappy. Seven hours? Seven hours, no break. Well, no, three different sessions, but seven oh, hours in total. Got pretty like... cooked. Oh, bro. Just, I, I, you need to be paddle fit too, don't you? Like, you didn't you need drink to be... like five litres of water. You would have been just like come out like a skeleton, fully dehydrated out in the sun for seven hours. Yeah, the back of my legs were a bit lobsterish, that's for sure. <laughs> I like that. Well, hey, it's uh, we're, we're sort of really only just kicking off 2023. What can we expect to see from you guys for the rest of the year? So, yeah, we've got, um, as you mentioned, those sort of dates at the moment up until the March 19th. You've got applications for the Accelerator program. There's one program that we didn't mention before, which is for mostly people that are working in ocean science and research, so early career ocean professionals. It's called the Ocean Impact Ideation Program. That's to kind of build the basic skills um, on how to build a startup and, and commercialise some science. So that'll be advertised around about June of 2023. August, we open the applications for PitchFest, uh, which is super exciting, and that's a global competition, as Nick mentioned before. And then come the end of November, we'll be uh, having our big showcase event, Innovation, which is where we bring it all together and celebrate with a bang. But, you know, there'll be podcast episodes, lots of other stuff that we're doing campaigns-wise. So just keep a, a close eye on oceanimpact.org and uh, and you'll see all the information there. Well, lads, thank you so much for jumping on and chat with us today. Uh, keep up the good fight because the work you're doing is absolutely unreal. Thanks, Thanks fellas. Guys. Great to chat.